How about now? Better. User error. Sorry, Dale. Church, let's uh, pray as we look at God's word together. Lord, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Thank you for your word. In the chaos of our world, may we always find peace in your words to us. This morning, please open our eyes. Incline our hearts towards a bigger view of you and your calling for us. Amen. I wonder, can I get a show of hands of uh, how many people have been watching the, the Jimmy Reed's uh, Meanwhile in Australia videos? Is there a few, a few out there? Okay, a handful. Uh, you're missing out if you didn't put your hand up just then. Um, he's up to part uh, 37 now. And uh, it's basically a uh, short YouTube or Facebook videos, uh, basically a, a humorous running commentary on the different ways that the Australian states have been handling COVID. And, uh, now, uh, if, uh, and now not only the Australian states, but South Africa's had a few mentions as well. So if, that's, uh, if that floats your boat, then that's in there too now. Uh, each state is depicted as a different person with Jimmy acting each one of them and the scenes just cutting back and forth and the stereotypes run thick. Uh, it really is quite clever. Um, in, his most, uh, in one of the most recent videos, he, uh, he goes to explain the Victorian COVID roadmap out of COVID restrictions and uh, he's poking fun at the confusing nature of it. And so uh, I was curious, so I, I did a Google search and, uh, and found the Victorian government website with this roadmap, and uh, he's not wrong. Uh, there is a large webpage with, I kid you not, seven different PDFs to download. Uh, the, one of those PDFs is the summary, and, uh, and that one alone, uh, I think you could say, uh, is as clear as mud. Uh, as clear as mud, it's, uh, it's one of those, uh, it's, I've always liked that, that phrase. I think it's one of the more easy to understand uh, Australian idioms. Uh, you don't have to, to visualise the word picture for too long to get a sense of it, do you? Clear as mud. N- not very clear at all, is it? Uh, and the question for today is, how clear are you on what a disciple of Jesus is? How clear is that picture for you on what a disciple of Jesus is? Uh, we are, and, and what if it is bigger and deeper and better than you realize? We are picking back up our Making Disciples series. Um, this is part one of two parts on what is a disciple. We have uh, already had a couple of sermons asking the question, why make disciples? We had a break with a few guest preachers, and I'm picking uh, the series back up first now with part one. Uh, we're going to look at three different texts. Uh, we've had them read this morning already. The first one, Jesus' great commission to his disciples, past and present. Uh, Jesus' teaching on how to save your life. And Jesus' invitation to be joined with him. We're going to see... Uh, that disciples learn, turn, and join. Learn, turn, and join. They learn from Jesus as their teacher. They turn to Jesus as their exclusive saviour, and they join themselves to Jesus as their master. So firstly, 
disciples learn. Uh, come with me to Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Uh, I would love you to have your Bible or device open looking at it. It will be up on the screen as well if that helps you. For regulars, this passage should be starting to get uh, pretty familiar to you. I hope it is. It's the Great Commission. It's our Great Commission. It's the mission that Jesus gave his disciples, past and present. If you're new or you're visiting with us, maybe this is not as as familiar a passage for you. Uh, Let me fill you in. These are the final words of Jesus that Matthew records in his gospel, his biography of Jesus' life. So we have seen through, through, throughout the gospel, throughout the story of Jesus, that Jesus has lived the perfect example of all that a human being is meant to be, totally in line with God's design. We have seen through the pages of the story that Jesus lived a, a fascinating, intriguing, captivating life. And then he died on a cross taking upon himself all of the guilt, shame, mess and brokenness and evil in this world and he has risen back to life proving that he has conquered all of that and now he's appearing to his 11 disciples and he's going to do that and appear to many more over the next 40 days. After that, he would return uh, to God the Father and then nobody knows when but one day he will come back to bring the final restoration of this world to a new creation. So before he goes, he says this to his disciples. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These words from Jesus were for the first 11 disciples, but they now stand for all disciples to come as well. A a mission, a task to do until he returns. A mission to make disciples of all nations. God's good news message is for the whole world, no limits. We've previously seen that this is because he is Lord over all. He he is responsible, has authority and cares over all the world. But are there any clues into the text as to what a disciple is? We're going to look at one Greek word and two things to notice in the text. So first up, one thing to notice in the text. The first thing. Matthew includes a bit, of a bit of a strange negative note for a, a climactic conclusion, doesn't he? Did you notice that in verse 17? When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. There are lingering, conflicting doubts amongst the disciples. Matthew is honest enough to include. The disciples themselves, they are still wrestling with all that has happened that culminated in Jesus' death and resurrection. But it shows us something important about these 11 disciples. Even at the end of all that they had seen and heard of Jesus, they'd had the, the benefit of the audible voice of God walking amongst them for three years teaching them And yet they still 
yet they still have a lot to learn. They are still disciples. And so we come to our one Greek word for you. And the words mathetes, often translated disciple, we have it here, as that it literally means learner. But that, that might sound a little bit strange to you to hear because when you think about it, what's, what's the most common way that we would explain a, dis, a disciple to someone who's not familiar with Bible jargon? If you're like me, you'd, you'd probably say a, a follower. And the disciples were followers of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. So is the disciple a, a learner or a follower? Yes. It's a picture of an apprentice, as Tash started to show us with the kids before. An apprentice actively following someone so that they could learn both their teaching but also their way of life. It's a common concept for the first century. The, the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish teachers, they had disciples that chose to follow them. John the Baptist had disciples. The Greeks and the Romans had disciples. Uh, a a mathetes would bind themselves to someone in order to gain that person's theoretical and practical knowledge. They might be an apprentice in a, in a trade. They might be a student of medicine. Or they might be a member of a philosophical school. A mathetes learns by following. This is like toddlers, isn't it? Um, uh, Amos, my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old, is loving doing puzzles at the moment. Uh, but he needs a fair amount of help, and he also likes having the company to do it as well. Um, here's one over here, which um, I'll, uh, I'll show you one of his favorites. There we go. You can see that up there. Um, this uh, has, has been one of, one of his favorites. Uh, I've done this every day for about a week, um, at least once. The camera's coming across. There you go. Um, and uh, he, here's the thing. Uh, I, the first time when he started to show real interest in puzzles, I, I sat down with him and I, and I thought, time for you to learn, son. You are, you're ready for this. Here's how you do a puzzle. You find the corner pieces. And you put them in the corner. And then you find all the edge pieces. And he's just like ripping at other stuff. I'm like, no, 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 the edge pieces. And he's like holding up this and going, that one? Um, so I, I realized that maybe I've sort of missed the mark on his developmental stages at this point. So instead, we just started poking pieces around for a while. And, uh, and he, he's learning by following. So uh, sometimes he'll, he'll watch me uh, do a piece. And so he'll, uh, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do it. I'll just put it in and he'll be watching. Other times I'll, I'll see that he's got a piece and he's, he's been trying for a while and I'm like, no, buddy, it's not quite the right way. And so he'll still be holding it and we'll, we'll do it together. I'll, I'll help him turn it and then he'll, he'll get it in place. And then other times, and this is proud dad moment, he'll take a piece and he'll put it in all by himself. And so sometimes he's watching, sometimes we're doing it together, sometimes I'm watching him saying, yes, that's how you do it, that's how you do it. Uh, that's uh, learning by following. That's a, a disciple, a learner. But am I making too much of the word, you know, re reading too much into it? Well, here's the other thing for us to notice in the text. Have a look at verse 19. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. Verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Disciples are people who are taught everything from Jesus. They are taught to obey. They are taught to observe. They are taught to live out his way of life. That's the first thing a disciple is. A disciple says, Jesus is my teacher. Capital T, Jesus is my teacher. You can't be a disciple and stop learning from Jesus. So be careful. Don't think that you've had enough years following Jesus or enough life experience that you now have little to learn. Please do not become unteachable. Sometimes the the young can act as they have nothing more to learn. Uh, Teenagers, please don't think you know it all. But sometimes the old can act that way too. Seniors, there's more for you to learn too. I know that because it's who we are. We are learners of Jesus. And we will always be until he returns. We need to be careful to recognize that the kind of learning that we are to do. So also be careful, don't reduce being a a disciple of Jesus to to intellectual learning, to to head knowledge. Remember, this is apprentice-style learning. I will follow you so that I can do what you do. Realize that, that more Bible study, more sermons, more connect groups discussing the text are all necessary, but understanding isn't the goal. Transformation is. Imagine playing one of those uh, all, all-time best games in the world, Simon Says, uh, and, and being told, oh, oh, oh no, uh, you, you, don't, you don't need to follow, just memorize and explain what I told you to do. That'll, you'll win the game that way. Just memorize and explain. If you hear the word, understand the word, and even explain how the word applies in everyday life, but do not change, you are not acting like a disciple. You are acting like a now slightly smarter sinner. The point is to learn to live out Jesus in our lives, to be more and more like him. So we see that a disciple says, Jesus is my teacher, and this is far more than intellectual learning. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. Next, disciples turn to Jesus. Come with me to Mark chapter 8 now, verse 34. Disciples turn to Jesus. Mark 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. 
Discipleship with Jesus necessarily involves something radical. Self-denial, radical self-denial. And we, we need to reckon with that. We need to come to, to terms with that. Do, do you expect that following Jesus will cost you dramatically? It seems counterintuitive though, doesn't it? Don't try to save your life so that you can save your life. But this passage is a, a sober warning to us. To love this world, to, to love its possessions and to love its praise more than loving Jesus will cost you your life forever. It's a sober warning. Is there anything in this world really worth your soul? I think that's an easier question to answer on a Sunday morning in church. I think it's a harder question to answer on Monday morning or even Sunday afternoon. Hear this warning. But also, hear this too, that this passage is a beautiful promise to be believed and treasured. That whatever must be denied in this life has no comparison to the joy of knowing and being with Jesus, your maker, now and forever. You turn to Jesus, and when he comes in all of his Father's glory one day, he will not be ashamed of you. He will embrace you. This is, this is essentially repentance. It's essentially repentance. It's turning from our, our old way of doing life, dying to it, and turning to Jesus. Turning from our old way and turning to Jesus. I, I think sometimes we think that repentance could, could be summed up by stop doing bad stuff and come to church. No. How shallow. How shallow. Repentance is the, the entirety of my life that was going this way to the, to the horror of my sinful nature and, and to the horror of the, the evil powers that force in this world against me drastically being turned and changed to go this way to go towards Jesus, to seek a life trans that where I am increasingly transformed to be more and more like the perfect human being, the God-man who came down into this world and showed us exactly what it looks like to be a human being, an image-bearer of God. Repentance is turning to that and going, transform me, transform me. That is repentance. And Christian, that is yours and that is my destiny. It's a question of allegiance. It is your allegiance to yourself and your mission. Now, I, I will save myself. I will find my true happiness and satisfaction and meaning and purpose. I will do it. Or is your allegiance to Jesus and his mission? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You can't serve two masters. So give up your old life 
and come to him. It's the second thing a disciple says. A disciple says that Jesus is my exclusive saviour. Believers who live where it's dangerous to follow Jesus, uh, I think, get this really well. Many throughout human history have literally given their lives because of their allegiance to Jesus. Others have lost basically everything short of their own lives. And in a broken world that is hostile against Jesus, we should expect this to be the experience of some. Um, a prayer update that came in on my email just the other day is from Open Doors, an organisation that exists to help link the, the church where it is safe to follow Jesus uh, with, with those where it's dangerous. And uh, they, they sent this uh, about a, a young 27-year-old guy named Shalman. He's living in Bangladesh. He became a disciple of Jesus just earlier this year. Because of how dangerous it is to follow Jesus uh, in his community, uh, he has been keeping that a secret. But a few weeks ago, his conversion was leaked. Locals beat him violently. His parents begged him to abandon his faith, but he refused. He said this to Open Doors. I have lost my job for my faith. I'm suffering a lot. People are disgusted by me. Everybody ignores me. No one wants to accept me. I'm rejected everywhere. My parents asked me to turn away from Christianity, but it is impossible for me. My neighbors torture me. Now I don't have shelter, no place to go. I lost everything. Everybody hates me, beats me, mocks me. Shaman is currently in hiding for fear of his life. Can I just pause and lead us in prayer for him now? Um, that, uh, that his story is not, not just an example to us, but that we, we pray for him as well. Uh, let, let me pray. Sovereign Lord, please provide for Shaman's safety. Provide for his protection in the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. And Lord, in your mercy, may you open up a, a way for him to earn a sustainable income to cover his needs. And Lord, we praise you that Shaman remains passionate and driven to share the gospel. So may you guide him in effective ways to keep doing that. Amen. That's a man who has lost almost everything in his life because Jesus has saved his life, his soul. I cannot help but think of one of my favorite parables of Jesus, Matthew thirteen forty-four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that when a man finds, in his joy he goes, he sells everything he has and buys that field. In his joy. Some of us think that we've got all these puzzle pieces in our lives and that you've got to figure out how to include the, the Jesus piece of the puzzle. I'm, I'm using a different metaphor now. 
we, we think we've got these pieces of, of our life and you go, okay, here's the, the Jesus piece and uh, how am I, where am I going to fit him into all the puzzle pieces of my life? But here's, here's the thing. Jesus is not just one more puzzle piece to fit into our lives. Jesus says, I want you to take all the puzzle pieces of your life and be willing to let me turf them out because I want to give you a better puzzle. I want to give you a better puzzle. My puzzle is better. The hardest way to follow Jesus is to live like everyone around you to not really change your time or your, your schedule or your money priorities and just try to cram Jesus in on top of that. Cram discipleship to Jesus on top of that. That is so hard. It's near impossible. And it leaves failure on the horizon. The easiest way to follow Jesus is to radically change your whole life your whole lifestyle, to take the pattern of Jesus' lifestyle, to look at his life and say, I I want that. I want that to be what my life looks like. I want to live like that. When you adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, the life of Jesus is the natural byproduct. Some here need to hear this. Being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus is not about having once prayed a prayer that included words like faith and grace. It's not about sitting in church on Sundays. It's not even about saying yes to the occasional roster item. You can do all those things without dying to self. That's not surrender. That's not Jesus, I place my life in your hands. Is that too hard to say? No, the choice is simple. The choice is simple. This is good news. Jesus declared it as such because it is good news. Who wants a a weak, small God that can only impact a a little bit of your life? I I want a transformative God who keeps me in, in awe and wonder again and again and again as to what he is going to do in my life as he bit by bit empowers me to let go of the reins and do things his way. And you live in awe and wonder if you're following him, learning from him like that. I think this passage is a really hard one to, to apply concretely into any one individual's life, in, into my own life as well. I find it hard. Turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness, turning away from shaping my life around my own self-interests and, uh, and what I want, I mean, that looks different for everyone. And, and Jesus modeled that in the way he interacted differently as he met different people. But I th- and I think if, if I end up trying to be really specific, if it looks like this, it looks like this, I, I, I end up aiming too small. Who knows what God might do in your life the more you surrender to him? He might sell your house and move you to Bible college. He might turn your career upside down. He might end you up fostering kids in desperate need of a loving family. 
He might end up growing a boldness in you for proclaiming the gospel in your workplace that you never thought was possible. So I can't tell you exactly what surrender to Jesus as your exclusive saviour looks like in your life. But I am sure that at the very least that this passage means that there are people here today, maybe myself included, that need to give things up because they're not working for us following Jesus. We're cramming too much in. Would you ever give up that friendship group because it's not working for you following Jesus? Would you ever give up that hobby because it's not working for you following Jesus? Would you ever give up that job because it's not working for you following Jesus? Would you ever give up that app or that smartphone because it's not working for you following Jesus? Would you ever give up that sporting goal or opportunity because it's not working for you following Jesus? Would you, would you give up that house or that holiday plan because they're not working for you following Jesus? What things are off limits to Jesus in your life? Verse 36, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? At this point, you might be asking the question, though, doesn't this smell a little bit like works-based salvation and doing good things salvation? No. As, as Cole Marshall in our Making Disciples Bible Study Guide uh, says, losing our life, taking up our cross and following Christ is just another way of talking about repentance and faith. But in case you're feeling a sense of burden, with a, with a wrong sense of, I've, I've got to do better in my salvation. There is one last teaching, actually, invitation from Jesus that I want to look at this morning. Disciples join. Disciples join with Jesus. They, they be yoked, yoked to him. Come with me back to Matthew, this time chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think this is one of the most beautiful invitations in all of Scripture from Jesus. It's also a, a beautiful glimpse into his heart toward us broken people. Come to me, all you who are at the end of your rope. Come to me. You don't need to keep trying to be good enough, just come to me. But on the surface, it also seems like a strange image. Because a yoke is a, a solid wooden bar. That's used to join two oxen or donkeys together at the neck so that they could work together, controlled by their master. One commenter, a guy named Frederick Brunner, says this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. 
But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. To accept Jesus' invitation to, to take up his yoke upon ourselves and submit ourselves to him completely as our teacher and our master, as you join yourself to Jesus like that as your master, you're submitting yourself to learn from him, to follow his way so that you might become more like him, but that yoke is not a demanding, work harder kind of yoke. Jesus offers himself as the master who is gentle and lowly, gentle and humble. With him, he promises rest for our souls. This yoke is easy and this burden is light because Jesus himself is the one who bears the burden of our sin. He himself is the one who offers us free restoration of connection with our creator. He himself offers us release from our sins. So having secured our new lives for us, Jesus now calls us to submit to him, to submit our lives to him and learn his pattern of life that he's laid down for us. That's the third thing a disciple says. Jesus is my master. And I join myself with him. Jesus is my master. Have you ever tried to carry a, a load with someone and they haven't carried their share? Or maybe you're helping someone move and uh, th- then suddenly things get a whole lot heavier on the piano as you go through the doorway and people start falling off the sides and you're down the front going down this step. Or, or imagine a, a toddler wanting to help carry a table. You've got a, an adult on, on each end of the table and then this little toddler in the middle sort of reaching up, wanting to hold the, the side. Generally, they're more hassle than help at this point, aren't they? Uh, and and what, what ends up happening is, is that as you go, three, two, one, lift, the adults pick the table up and you've just got this toddler dangling in the air, clinging on to the side of the table as the adults bear all the load, carrying all of the table and the toddler. We are that toddler. That is what our yoke to Jesus looks like. We join ourselves to our, our gentle, loving, strong master. And he does all the heavy lifting. And he begins to transform us. A disciple says, Jesus is my teacher. Jesus is my exclusive savior. And Jesus is my master. And that's a disciple who will one day look back at their life in wonder and awe at the depths of sacrifice in where Jesus took them and the heights of joy in how he worked out all things for their ultimate good and for his glory. Having looked at these passages this morning, there is only one logical question for me to ask. Have you taken this step? a mixed bag of people in this room. If you're visiting, this might be fresh and new and a lot to process. Keep going in that processing. Maybe you've been around church for a while, maybe a long time. Maybe you've prayed a prayer before with words like trust and forgiveness. But 
you, you haven't really put Jesus in the center as teacher, savior, master. You don't need to be ready. You will never be ready. Jesus said, come. Come with your baggage. Come with your burdens. Come with your guilt. Come with your shame. Come with your hurt. Come with your brokenness. He wants to give you the rest of making you new. Coming to Jesus is to become a disciple of Jesus. So the disciple says Jesus is teacher, saviour, master. But can I cut that down? Five, five letters to summarise that. All in. All in. I'm all in on Jesus being who he says he is. My whole of life, I'm all in on that. If that's where your heart is at today, then do it. Decide to go all in for Jesus and all in on him being who he says he is. Decide to daily place Jesus in the center of your life as teacher, savior, master. Start doing that today and do it every day. Starting that decision with a prayer is, is a great thing to do, but it doesn't end there. Discipleship happens through a million next steps. So make sure you talk to someone. Come talk to me, talk to someone who brought you, head to the hub tables down the back of the foyer, talk to someone there. Tell someone if God is changing allegiances in your heart today. I've told you about Shaman, a disciple under dangerous persecution. I want to finish with, with one more story, this time of a, of a disciple who enjoyed freedom and, uh, and in that freedom surrendered her life to Jesus. Her name was Betty Green, and uh, here's a little snapshot of, of her legacy. She was born in 1920, and from a young age, she developed a, a love and a passion for flying. And so as a teenager, she took flying lessons. It wasn't long before she became a professional qualified pilot. Uh, Betty had a, a, a spirit of, of adventure, we're told, but also a deep love for God. And so when an older Christian friend suggested that she could use her flying for Christian work, she recounts leaping for joy at the thrilling thought of combining flying with her love for God. Uh, Betty helped to start uh, MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship. You might have heard of it before. Uh, the first flight she flew and it presented several challenges and obstacles for her. But she pressed on, they made it through that first one, and she continued to fly as an MAF pilot for 16 years, flying in over 12 countries. Uh, she, she basically served all of the remainder of her life from that point with MAF, first as a pilot, uh, then uh, working in the headquarters, and lastly advocating before her death in the 90s. And here's the cool thing about that legacy. MAF uh, is an organization that exists to deliver uh, practical and spiritual care to people in places where, where flying is not a luxury, it's a lifeline. It's, it's the only option. And to this day, now, currently, every five minutes an MAF plane takes off or lands somewhere around the world. And they are going to remote places to enable the work of aid agencies, and of missions organizations and of local churches because they, they believe that everyone deserves hope, uh, including the isolated. It's an organization that now has 123 aircrafts, 
1,200 staff members. They're in uh, over 28 countries. Uh, they, they fly and land in over 1,200 destinations. Uh, Betty was someone with, with unique uh, professional skills, a, a unique passion, and she went all in for Jesus and helped take the gospel around the world to many remote places. I'm sure that she would have looked back in, in awe and wonder at each thing that God did every time she said yes to Jesus. A disciple says, Jesus is my teacher. Jesus is my exclusive saviour. And Jesus is my master. Let me pray. Lord, your boundless stores of grace are an incentive for total surrender. How can we rebel against the one who did all this for us at such a cost, Lord Jesus? Lord, let your grace so dazzle us that we are always all in for Jesus. Amen.